Hi, welcome to the Parenting Reframe Podcast. I am Elbiona Rakipi, your host. I'm a former teacher, a parent, currently a pediatric speech and language pathologist, and I'm a writer. I've worked with thousands of children and families throughout the last 20 years, and I have learned so much. On this podcast, we'll approach parenting from a curious place. We'll ask questions and get answers, explore new ideas, unpack the unconscious beliefs and expectations we hold on to about parenting, and reframe what it means to parent. We'll search for solutions to some of our biggest parenting challenges, set aside judgments, and find our way through this wild journey. My hope is that this podcast is a space where parents can feel seen, heard, and supported. Welcome aboard, and let's reframe together. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Parenting Reframe Podcast. Today, we are going to answer the number one question I get asked the most, which is, how do I get my kids to listen or help? No one will listen to me. So gaining cooperation and listening is a really tricky thing because every kiddo is different. And the truth is, we have to teach kids to listen. They don't just listen. The problem is, if you have more than one child, Often you'll see that one child might have a milder temperament, so they're very easy to sort of reach and talk to, and then you'll have another child who is not quite the same way and they have a stronger will or they don't listen as well. So you have to really tune in to your own kids' needs and you have to really see what it is that you need to do to sort of help them learn to listen. So again, the assumption that they're just going to listen is kind of a falsehood. I think sometimes we expect it. Certainly if um, this happens quite a bit and I laugh at it because it happened to me as well, but depending on birth order, sometimes the oldest child might be, let's say one that is easier to talk to and that they just listen. There isn't a lot of pushback. So you think you've sort of nailed it and you understand this whole parenting thing. And then your second child comes out with a much more robust personality and they're not quite as likely to listen. And you're kind of going back saying, well, I don't think it's me. I think it's the child because I already went through this once and my methods work or what I did worked. So we have a little bit of a hard time sort of accepting that we could do it a little bit differently. So every child has to be taught how to listen. And for every child, that's going to look very different. So just start there. So on today's episode, because it's such a big sort of thing to unpack, we are going to talk about do's and don'ts of what to do and how we can get our kids to listen and sort of the role we play. Number one, do try to get ahead of it. You'll see me and hear me talk about this all the time. I talk a lot about a process or a method that I call framing. A lot of times in psychology, it's called priming. It's the same idea. You're basically going to get ahead of the problem. If you anticipate that your child struggles to listen during times A, B, and C, or that it's hard for them to follow through on a direction because it's something they don't want to do, while they are emotionally regulated, before the activity even takes place, you want to set the scene for them. You know, we're about to go out for ice cream. You can only have one ice cream cone, not two, when your ice cream is finished. If you ask for more, the answer will be no. Can you cry and scream at the ice cream shop? No, you can't, right? So that is kind of a very simple way of how you would describe it. Then you go back and say to the child, okay, where are we going? The ice cream shop. What are we going to get? An ice cream cone. How many? One. I know you're going to probably want two, but can you have two? No. If I say no to two, can you kick and scream in the ice cream shop? No. 
Okay, so you just want to have them fill in the blanks. We talk about this a lot. If you head over to theparentingreframe.com, I actually have um, a document, a PDF that you can download for free and you can customize it the way you would want to do it for your child. And it just kind of highlights each step a little bit more specifically with just some more tangible information for you to use. So just know that. So that's sort of a really brief um, sort of run through of how we would use framing. The reason we want to use framing before the child is even starting to engage in the activity or whatever it is that might elicit the non-listening to happen is because what tends to happen is a child will have a meltdown and more often than not, a parent decides at that moment that they want to explain the, the rights and wrongs of what they're doing. And the problem is when a child is in the middle of a tantrum or a meltdown or they're having a really tough time with something, us talking to them, meaning the adults talking to the child, what you're doing is you're kind of taxing their sensory system even more. So when they're dysregulated, which is in that moment, because they're crying and a lot of times they're completely like on the ground and it just they're completely falling apart. They can't even keep physical hold of their body. You walk over and you start peppering them now with this really long explanation and questions and, you know, all this stuff. And the problem is they're not in a good space to even hear you. So you're saying all these things. And all that it's doing is overwhelming them more. I give this analogy a lot, and I think it's a good way to kind of illustrate it. If you, even as an adult, are having sort of an emotional response to something and you're upset or you're very mad or, you know, whatever it may be, you will turn to somebody in your circle, maybe it's a partner, spouse, best friend, sibling, and you will vent about this, right? And you will be like, oh my gosh, this is happening. I'm so frustrated. And you're saying all these things. Usually the person who is there listening to you in most cases is just holding space for you. Now, can you imagine if you are completely in this dysregulated state, you are fuming, you are having to get all this out, you're needing to say these things, and imagine every time you're halfway through a sentence, that friend turns around and tries to give you advice or tries to tell you what to do or tries to fix it. You would be, your frustration level would go up to a 10 because now you're just trying to get through this moment and all that's happening is you're being taxed with just more information, more things to process. You can't process it because you're not in a good state to do so. And so that just leads you to feeling even more frustrated. It's no different for a child. They're going to do the exact same thing. So while your intentions are very good, your timing isn't great in that moment. And we've all done it, myself included. And so what ends up happening is you're just making an already emotional escalated moment even more escalated. And quite, frank, quite frankly, it's probably worse. So just keep that in mind. You want to really be sure that you're not talking to them in that moment about what's happening. You're just sort of holding space. You're reminding them of the boundary. Exercise empathy. I know it's hard. I know you really want to have another ice cream cone, but we can't. And I get sad when I can't have the thing I want either, but you're doing a great job understanding, right? Whatever it is, but you just want to exercise empathy and hold your limit and you want to do it calmly or set your limit, I should say. Another do is intervene sooner with a short pause. So one of the things that happens, and I'll actually include my don't in this too, don't engage in multiple reminders. What ends up happening is you'll say to your child, hey, don't throw the ball against the wall. Okay, the child throws the ball against the wall. They throw the ball against the wall again. Now you're annoyed because you just asked them. So they'll say, hey, remember, I already asked you that. Please don't throw the ball at the wall. Okay, two minutes later, the child picks up the ball and starts throwing the ball against the wall. 
Now you're like five reminders in, six reminders in, and you're getting escalated and you're getting annoyed. By the 10th reminder, it's turned into full-blown yelling. And now a very disproportionate reaction is being heaped onto the child. So now it's something like, I've had to tell you multiple times to stop throwing the ball. The ball is mine. You pop the ball. You throw the ball in the garbage. You throw the ball outside. Um, The child can never play with the ball again. Every play date for the next week is canceled, right? Like it goes so over the top because you have allowed yourself to get completely dysregulated in that moment. And then you end up giving a consequence that doesn't even fit the crime. So in this particular instance, two things are happening. Going back to that idea of teaching kids to listen, when you fall in that pattern, or I call it like the reminder hamster wheel, when everybody's on that, nobody's listening to you. You've taught your child that the first 10 times she says something, it doesn't even matter. It's only when she does this crazy yell that that's when I have to really like settle down or think about what's happening because that's when it's it's followed by some kind of an action. So you teach them to listen when you yell. So you don't have to let it get there, right? And so the minute you give a direction and you tell them don't throw the ball against the wall because I'm on a phone call, whatever the reason is, we don't want the you know ball to hit the wall, whatever, you're going to tell them what to do. The minute they do it, you just take the ball and you take a quick pause. And you don't have to do it meanly. You don't have to yell. You don't have to get super upset and tell them how mad you are at them because they didn't listen. You can just say, ooh, I think we talked about that. The ball is mine for a couple minutes. Come and sit by me. Let's take a break. Let's take a pause. Pauses and breaks are so important. It helps kids regulate. I can't say it enough. What ends up happening a lot of times if we don't take a pause and a break, the child gets really mad. You take the ball because you're kind of like, that's the right thing to do. I'm supposed to take the ball because he's been throwing it and I told him not to. But then you let him have something else to calm down. We want them to work through that on their own. So that's what I mean about don't engage in multiple behaviors, do intervene sooner. Don't let it get to the point where that escalation gets so high and that it erupts into a whole situation that you or the child didn't see coming. So let's talk about another do. Do give one reminder calmly if you think you have to, okay? And this is where you're going to want to think about your child. For some kids, they do need that repetition. If we're thinking of a child who maybe struggles to understand and comprehend language that would be consistent with same age peers, meaning that maybe it's not a child who is neurotypical, maybe they're a neurodivergent learner, you might want to think about one reminder. After the one reminder, this is the action that takes place. Whatever it is you do, you want to stay consistent. And you want to be able to follow through so that it becomes predictable for the child and that they know. Again, same thing like before. You don't want to keep going and letting it go on and on and on, right? Otherwise, you're going to blow up. They're going to get very upset. And the next thing you know, you're just going to have this huge falling out. Do set boundaries and limits. Kids need us to do this. As they get older, you are going to pull back and you won't do it as much. When they are younger is when they need you to do it because neurologically speaking, children lean on us and want us to set those boundaries because they can't do it for themselves. That's why if you think of like, I always say like parenting has different phases and every phase has something that's really great about it and it also has something very challenging about it. So if we think about 
like I'm thinking a baby toddler age where they're just walking, but they don't have a good sense of cause and effect yet. So they can easily fall off of a step or they could start running and gaining so much momentum. And because they're still so top heavy, they can topple and fall right on their face and so on and so forth, right? They're climbers. They have no concept of like falling. So they'll keep climbing up without any idea that they could fall and get hurt. So that phase of parenting is very physically exhausting, right? We're kind of hovering around them. We're blocking them as much as we can. We're trying to put barriers in the way so that they can stay safe. So we want to think about um, every phase that the child is in and what kind of boundaries they need. So in that particular phase, it's really physical. They need us to really be there at all times. They need us to keep them safe. They need us to put boundaries in place so that they don't get hurt. So that's one way of interpreting a boundary. As they get older, they start to have agency and autonomy, and then we start to see other behaviors like maybe hitting or not listening or um, things that we wouldn't want them to be doing, throwing, whatever the case is. We want to pay attention to those, and then we also want to go in and set limits around those things because ultimately, the better you do setting limits when they're younger, I promise you as somebody who has older kids at this point, it will get easier because they will start to be able to do it for themselves. And that is essentially what you want. You just cannot expect it when they're little. So let's consider that and let's make sure we're setting some reasonable boundaries, reasonable limits. Again, for every child, that's going to be a little bit different. I mean, there is some, you know, ones that I think all parents try to adhere to, but then you're going to customize it and think about what your child needs in every moment. Don't be afraid of discipline or the idea of discipline. Just to break it down from just sort of a language definition standpoint, discipline only means to teach. I think the word itself became very loaded for many people, and we associate discipline with things like harsh, strict, and cold parenting. We tend to think of a parent who is very disciplinarian as somebody who is very general-like and maybe kind of mean about it and harsh to a child. Maybe they engage in shaming tactics to make the child feel poorly about something. That is not what discipline means, right? It doesn't even mean to punish. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means to teach. Children need discipline because they cannot exercise it for themselves. They don't have self-discipline, right? That's why they need us to do it. So many times I'll talk to a parent and they're so afraid to sort of acquire different discipline practices because they were parented in a household where things were so strict and so kind of harsh that that pendulum for them has swung in the complete other direction and they've almost vowed to themselves that they wouldn't raise their kids the same way. That's okay and we want to recognize the parts of ourselves that need to be reparented, but that doesn't mean that that is what your child needs. That is what you needed. You needed a parent who was less strict. You needed a parent who allowed you to exercise expression and ask questions and you didn't want to feel afraid, right? Those are all things that you needed, Pending that you're creating a loving home, implementing discipline in your home doesn't mean that you're going to adopt a cold and harsh household. It just means that you're landing somewhere in the middle and you're understanding that you want to create a safe space for your child to be able to express themselves or ask questions or freely embark on something. But you also want to make sure that you are participating in some type of a discipline practice with them and for them, particularly when you have a strong-willed child. They need it even more. Sometimes I'll talk to a parent and they'll say, 
They're just really, you know, free spirited. They're a strong willed kid. I don't want to stifle that in them. I want them to be able to be who they are in this world. That's okay. The problem is, is that's an adult interpretation on a strong willed child. A child who is strong willed is saying, I have all this power, all this stuff going on. I don't know what to do with all of it. Where are you meeting me? They need you to kind of hold a hand out for them and stop them from cascading into these big downward spirals. But we feel like that's stopping them from expressing and evolving and being this big, strong-willed person. So again, it's a balance. It's okay that they're strong-willed. We love that. We want to celebrate that. But you also want to be able to sort of keep a boundary up, set a limit, and really hold it with love. So keep that in mind. You definitely want to make sure that you are incorporating discipline into your household. And that doesn't mean in a cold or harsh way. Another do, make sure you practice games where they have to work on listening. This is all part of executive function skills. And those are all developing for children because the frontal lobe of the brain is still developing and that's where it's housed, right? That's where all those executive function skills are. So for children who are still developing, which that means all children, we don't expect them to automatically listen, like I mentioned at the earlier, at the onset of the episode, right? We teach them how to do it. So I love having parents work on these skills in the absence of emotional dysregularity, which just means instead of asking them to listen when they're upset, why not play a listening game when they're feeling good, when they're in a good space, right? So play games like Simon says, play games where they have to wait and take a turn. Play games where you give, you tell a story, and then they have to answer back three questions of what they heard. Play games where they have to practice listening to two or three directions. Go on scavenger hunts where they have to practice listening and holding on to information and then going from there. It is, think of it as like a muscle and they have to train it and they have to work on it. And it doesn't mean that we only work on it when things are wrong or bad. We want to work on it all the time. And the better they get at listening, retaining and integrating language, the better outcomes we're going to have. So keep that one in mind. Last but not least, don't beat yourself up about it. It is okay. We are in this, you know, it's a interesting thing and it's it's an interesting thing to parent because it's sort of the hardest job in the world with the least amount of training, right? Like I'm thinking as I take my daughter through this driver's ed process, like it's so long and involved, which it very well should be. But Again, like anything you're taught, you are trained on it and you're taught what to do and you're given all this information and you're tested and and so on and so forth. And parenting is just this really important job and anybody can do it and you literally have no idea what you're doing most days. So it's okay. Don't beat yourself up about it. If you found that you couldn't follow through one day and you couldn't stay consistent because it was just that kind of day, it's okay. It does not mean that you set yourself back for years and now you have to start over and it's all down the, you know, down the tubes at this point and it's worthless. Don't let yourself go down that rabbit hole. Honestly, give your, show yourself grace, give yourself a minute. It's exhausting. It's tiring. It's also wonderful, beautiful, and amazing all at the same time. Just let it be. And if you found that you didn't do the the best you could do one day, that's okay. You just show up the next day and you start all over. And I promise you, as somebody who does have older kids and so much of it is in my rearview mirror, this too shall pass. I promise. One day you will look back and you will probably have a giggle about it. So thank you so much for listening. Those are some quick points that I wanted to highlight about what to do and what not to do when it pertains to listening. 
if you have any questions, message me at albiona at um, theparentingreframe.com, or you can find me over on Instagram at theparentingreframe. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening right now. And what really makes my day is if you share or recommend the podcast to a friend. It is the greatest compliment. If you have not already, head on over to theparentingreframe.com where you can subscribe to get my weekly newsletter, Parenting Skimmed. 10 sentences delivered to your inbox every Thursday to help you parent and live a better life. It's for the parent who constantly told me, I just don't have time to read. Make sure to come and say hi to me on Instagram at theparentingreframe. My DMs are always open and I love hearing from you. Until next time, this is Albiona. Albiona.